everyone, and welcome to Active Architecture, a Dollhouse Retrospective podcast. Today we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode number 8, Needs. I'm Kevin Batchelder. I'm Jay. Uh, Jen is unable to join us this week, uh, real life getting in the way, and again, just kind of right off the top, we'll apologize for being a, a few weeks since our last podcast. Real life has been keeping all of us busy lately. Yes, unfortunately, but we are back. So. Yes, hopefully we're back into a good groove here. Got, <laughs> us, got a guest for you, actually a special guest we want to introduce. Please welcome Peter Tupper. Peter is a name you may recognize. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, uh, Kevin. Thank you, Jay. Now, uh, Peter, you did uh, a contribution to the recent uh, Dollhouse book, Inside Joss's Dollhouse, didn't you? That is correct. I uh, wrote an essay that uh, called it a 21st century neo-Gothic. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, I based it on, um, I'm a history, I studied history at University of British Columbia, and I'm working on a history of consensual sadomasochism. And that um, draws a lot on, on the Gothic, which is a sort of a literary movement that started in the mid-18th century that's all about um, captivity, sort of um, extreme psychological states, uh, sexual exploitation, um, uh, difficulty, you know, the farther reaches of madness, of can you trust your own mind? And uh, all of that to me feeds into lots of different stories and movies and books that have been published over the past couple of hundred years, and The Dollhouse fits into that tradition. Yeah, interesting stuff. Now, how did that come about for an opportunity to be involved in that? Well, um, I've been, uh, I've always been interested in the sort of the, the ana analysis of pop culture, and uh, I think I was uh, also a strong supporter of Dollhouse. Um, I, I was sort of, you know, following it from the beginning and uh, really very fascinated with it, um, even though I had a, I was very aware of that it was not doing well commercially. Um, I think through uh, following the fandom, I think it was through Whedon-esque.com that I saw that there was a call for uh, contest submissions that Ben Bella was doing for their collection. And I'd already written an essay about uh, Dollhouse uh, for my blog, and uh, so I reworked that and expanded that a few times and submitted it. And it was actually one of the four finalists in the published book, which I'm quite proud of. Excellent. Yeah, some really interesting stuff there, folks. If you haven't uh, checked out that book or uh, Peter's uh, specific essay, by all means, it's uh, like a lot of things with Dollhouse, really makes you think. Mm-hmm. Super. Well, we appreciate you joining us tonight. So we're going to have some fun talking uh, needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for my money, this is, after Man, of, Man on the Street, this is the best episode of the whole series. This is where it gets really close to sort of exploring the key themes uh, of the whole premise. And uh, it's it's generally a well-written um you know, piece that uh, it harkens back to um, a little bit to The Prisoner and other sort of, um, you know, mind game type TV shows that have come out here and there, um, you know, borrows maybe a bit of certain like Twilight Zone or um, Outer Limits episodes where you have people thrown into an unfamiliar situation and trying to figure it with no memory or no understanding of how they got there and trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, of course, there's an interesting twist on this is that because since we've been watching the series so long, we do know what's going on, but, and we know more than they do, but we even, we don't know exactly what's happening or why the, this is happening to them. And, um, so that's like why I feel it's one, it's the second best of the whole series. 
Cool. Yeah, no, it's it's some interesting stuff. It's especially on rewatch. I think we've got several scenes we can touch on where the impact is for me much stronger on the rewatch because uh, a lot of the stuff like, uh, and we'll get into this whole, you know, what the the trauma that all of them have gone through and what it means to them is certainly very poignant. I think once you come back to it with the the ability to understand the long picture too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they hinted at other things like what happened to Sierra and what happened to, um, sorry, um, what happened to Echo and what happened to November and all of them. And um, so we got, we probably learned a lot more about them in this episode than we have to any previous one so far. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, the, the beginning of the episode, too, uh, as we're seeing, the, the slow descent of, of Paul Ballard is quite interesting, too. Oh, yeah, that's that's like, I mean, it's all about what he needs. You know, he's, he even says, you know, when he's like literally lying on top of Echo in his dream, he says to Nellie, I have something she needs. <laughs> and it's like, I think, he, you know, I think this is a man who needs to be needed, who, who has this sort of savior complex that kind of unfortunately leads to him <clears throat> both ruining his own life and letting people manipulate him in various ways. Um, you know, one of the things I point out in my essay is that he really wants a damsel in distress to rescue, and, and both Alpha and Adele use that to, to try to push him in different directions. And uh, it's, it shows you just how, um, you know, just inside Paul's head, the dollhouse is, and Alpha is, and and you know, even he's not free of it, even though he's outside of it. Yeah, very true, very true. It's it's again on each rewatch for me, I just it, I just feel more and more sad for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What really creeps me out is is, and this is one of the most interesting is like the, the the opening scene in the conference room when Adele has everybody up into her office and they're talking about how things are are everybody you know, all the actives are glitching and um and they're using all this language of care they're always saying is that like we have to look after them we have to help them we have to protect them from the world they can't handle and you know Adele's saying that and then we shift over to um, Lawrence and he's saying something like um. Um, you know, he, he sort of talks in the language of care, too, but he says to them, they're pets, they're not people. Exactly. You know, if they go outside of what they're supposed to do, um, you freak out. And, um, you know, later on, Sophie goes, goes in even further into that logic by saying is that sometimes you just have to put your dog down. And, like, she, we know that she was witnessed uh, Alpha's attack on Whiskey later on. So, you know, that's... The, they're they're talking about care, but they're really talking about control, and um, sometimes it can be hard to separate those two. Oh, definitely. That's what that's what Dollhouse is so much fun for me is that gray area of of uh, uh, you know that line moves a bit uh, based on who is giving us the frame of reference to look at, and yeah, the, the Dominic stuff here is just very jarring, uh, as you said, yeah. because because of the way he refers to it, and and even that whole. Uh, phrase of his, like you said, about the difference between whether or not your child, you know, steps up and speaks as opposed to the dog and everything else. So it's, yeah, it's laying some great groundwork for later on when we start to get to to hate him a bit and also where he goes. So very cool I, stuff. I, I never really hated him. I never felt that he was 
uh, I, I didn't feel really visceral hate for him. I think he was just like got into a really bad situation and with very conflicting loyalties. And uh, yeah, I didn't. I never felt visceral hate for him. I think for me, when I say hate, it's very much the fact that uh, the more attached I got to the show, the more you know he was seen as the enemy, and I wanted to see him fail. So yeah, but on the other hand, we're only—he's only, only going to be around for another few episodes, so he—he he sort of gets removed from that status very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I was Team Echo, so I had to be against <laughs> Team Dominic. Uh, I did like him in the yeah. second season, though. I liked him in the second season. Yeah, well, that's he's, he's maybe redeemed himself a little. It's um, yeah, but he's he's, you know, he's he's thinking about it. And I think maybe he's just more realistic about the dollhouse. You know, Adele, Adele, you never you never really know how much of her own bullshit she she actually believes, and that that those are the really tricky people. Um, Lawrence is is I don't think he he's the le he's less he has less illusions about the dollhouse than Adele does, and he fully believe he treats it in part as because it's his job as an as an infiltrator. He just treats it as a job, and he doesn't have any sort of positive connotations to it. And you know, so of course he's going to be more he's going to be harsher about it, but you know, in a way he's less. He's less delusional about it. He's less rationalizing about it. Yeah, very true. Now, the the other thing that I love about going back to this episode too, and you alluded to it a bit there, Peter, talking about uh, what it seems like from other shows and movies we've seen, is uh, the chance to kind of get to connect with our dolls as, shall we say, people. Yeah. That self awareness of waking up and and kind of going as a team in terms of you know what is this, who are we, and everything else. Yeah, it's a lot like uh, it's a bit a little bit like um, the Cube series in uh, uh, Canadian movies, which re where you have people that are just sort of dumped into this bizarre sci-fi scenario. They have no idea how they got there, and there's like they don't know what they're expected to do or how they can survive. And um, you know that's been done a lot in um, um, you know the British series The Prisoner. And uh, a bunch of different Twilight Zones and Outer Limits episodes are sort of on that basic premise because it, you know, it has a lot of flexibility about um, what they're, you know, why they're there. You know, it's very, it's very existential. And and also, I think it echoes, if you pardon the expression, um, the cabin in the woods, because like the scenes where they're uh, the dolls are sort of scam or have like slipped through. Uh, you know the illusion of the dollhouse, and they're sort of in these, this gray institutional uh, back, you know, back corridors and storage areas and things like that. And it's a lot like in Cabin in the Woods when uh, they sort of discover the underground tunnels and try to figure out what the that the situation is even weirder and scarier than they thought it was. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the biggest thing for the episode. Um, it was like you said, Kevin was getting like the actual characters. I know we didn't, they didn't know their backstories and things like that. But again, that was one of the big problems that some viewers had with the show is that you didn't really know the characters because they were literally a different character every week. And so to yeah. see their actual core beliefs and, and what type of character um, each of our, our mainstays were, I think was an important decision, especially to kind of get it earlier on. Um, so that's that's what I enjoyed about the episode was seeing each of their basic characteristics. 
Yeah, that is, I mean, that, a lot of people brought up that idea that how do you relate to a person who's sort of this blank slate amnesiac child and then it is a different person over time. So I don't know, maybe, you know, just to do a counterfactual, if this had aired earlier in the season or maybe even been the pilot episode, um, would this maybe have people, you know, sort of connected to the story, to the show better than they did? Intriguing question. Oh, I hadn't I hadn't thought about placement in terms of what this might have done if it was in that earlier stage. That's a good question, Peter. Or if the show had actually started with something like Man on the Street, like an, an amalgamation of a Man on the Street, and then you went right into Echoes and went right into um, mm -hmm. Needs, that would have still put it much earlier in the series. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, Whedon himself said the first six episodes of any series are always, you know, going to be rough while you work out things. But um, I don't know. I have so many sort of if only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do a podcast only on the if onlys, couldn't we? Um, exactly. <laughs> but it is kind of neat. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Jay. I just, um, I think this um, first watch of the series. This was my favorite episode of season one. Um, again, just seeing each character, and I think it had a, a lot of humor in the episode. There was a lot of emotion in the episode, and um, you got that relationship with Sierra and um, Victor as it kind of progressed, and um, it, it was just nice to see. I think it was a very well-written episode. I think the actors did great with the material, and um, I don't think it's my favorite of the first season at this point, but um, it's definitely up there. Yeah, I just I love the sort of the the. It's like they're they're, you know, they're amnesiacs. They're dumped into this bizarre situation, but everybody's being so darn nice to them, and they're giving them bad pancakes and everything. And like, there's this thought, like that 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 scene where Mike is literally dragged off, screaming, "I'll climb the rock wall!" I love <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's like simultaneously hilarious and horrifying. <laughs> It's like if they offer you a massage, just do it. Just take it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it is. Some of the dialogue uh, bits are very, uh, shall we say, Whedon-y in their, their, their humor, and, and they're very okay. telling. Uh, so it is. It's, it's one of those ones a lot of uh, longtime Whedon fans could very easily slip into and, and get a good mm -hmm. chuckle. And like you said, yeah. they're very, very ironic with some of those things, too, because it's, it's kind of like Mike is almost like the, the Star Trek red shirt here. He's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. is he even wearing a red shirt? I think so. I think he was. Was he? I, I, I believe I so. My notes, but, yeah. But, well, yeah. I mean, you could, yeah, he is there to prove that the situation is indeed dangerous. So. Yeah, very much yeah. so. I, I also love, too, and this is one of those, I mean, we also have fairly early on, um, you know, Ballard kind of peeling back the onion since he finds the camera. Uh, in his apartment, which is going to just, you know, drive his paranoia even more. Mm, exactly. Uh, you know, more of that, you know, Ballard slippery slope. But, but aside from that, too, the other part from, from, uh, that I think for me gets overlooked until I start on the rewatches, too, is I really love the scenes when, when once uh, they've kind of started to make their grand escape, but then Echo's going to come back in. I mean, that's her nature. Yeah, she, she's got to. She's almost like codependent with the place. She can't yes. leave unless everybody leaves. Exactly. And, and, when she's back in, the scene she gets to have with Topher after the whole power outage thing, mm -hmm. yeah. really love some of that dialogue there. Yeah, this is, this is. I mean, you can see Topher sort of freaking out. And, <laughs> and, but also, not just because there's somebody pointing a gun at him, but 
also because he's like really been forced to confront, you know, his 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 role and what he's doing and yes. and by Echo and she's, you know, he can't. It's hard to you know have all these rat layers of rationalization when somebody's pointing a gun at you, and um, yeah, so that was a you could see he was pretty shocked at that, and also that the those power outages were. I mean, presumably he was in on the whole scenario, but those power outages were kind of throwing everything off. So it probably wasn't part of the plan that she would get a gun and, and point it at him. No, no. But also the thing that's kind of neat is we know that, you know, Topher is all about his toys, his computers. And you take the power away, and what has he got to make him any comparable to anyone else? He's lost he's got, his power. He's got a glow stick and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's uh, it, I always think it's very intriguing because he's, he's taken away what, what he normally has as his one-upmanship, as his ability yeah. to use that technology that's now useless in a power. Yeah, the, his, his ability to surveil. He's, I mean, like, you, it, you know, when, you, when the, the actors first walk into the atrium and they look up and there's this, this, like, almost like guard post where Topher is sitting there looking straight back down at them and you realize... You know, from from the perspective, just how it's um, it's what Jeremy Bentham called a panopticon. Um, it's a it's a theory that gets talked a lot about in in history theory, and it's like the idea is, is that you build a system that you you structure. Jeremy Bentham he came with this idea that you structure a jail in sort of a ring with a, a post in the center, and the assumption is that the people that the inmates in the cells have to assume that they are being watched at all time or they could be watched at any time. And um, I think some even some real prisons are built like this. I know that the one in Oz is actually, the, the main set in Oz is actually structured like that with a central post where they can see all everything around them and the prisoners are supposed to assume that they're being watched at all times. And uh, that that's very much the structure of surveillance and the structure of control that you can see in the dollhouse. But of course, it's not perfect, and all those power shortages, um, you know, show that they can't, they don't have perfect control. They don't have, they can never, you know, um, clean up everything. They can never hide everything. There are always cracks and scars, and even, um, you know, Dr. Saunders walking around with her scars on her face is like, is this sort of subtextual FU to this whole everything is beautiful and perfect and in control uh, atmosphere they're trying to project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's intriguing that way. It's, it's funny because it's so much, or for me anyway, when you look at some of the things, especially in this episode, that, that are so important, it really comes back to, for me anyway, the, the emotional tug, knowing the stories of these people, um, mm -hmm. getting the, the, especially the... Uh, the stuff with uh, Victor and Sierra. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I must admit, the first time I saw this episode, not that I didn't enjoy it as much as it didn't have the, it didn't resonate as much because I really wasn't the whole Nolan thing, pre or all that, you know, you know nothing yet. So it's so tough to get a, or at least for me, to get a real value for what this is going to mean. So yeah. it's, it's so bittersweet going back and, and seeing that and watching them go through the ultimate pain, especially, you know, for November too. Yeah. And, that, and the preamp thing is really kind of, that sets up a lot because like it really, it throws a huge question mark onto the dollhouse itself or how many other people are, are um, you know, there against their will. Um, and, you know, you have, to, it, it, it looks, all of a sudden it looks even worse than we thought it was. And 
it also sort of paints Adele's character into a bit of a corner. And I think the author, the, the um, writers sort of had to struggle with this a bit later on in the series because, you know, we're either Adele knew about this and therefore she wasn't as benevolent as she presented herself to be, or she didn't know about this and she wasn't as powerful as she presented herself to be. So we had to sort of like reconcile what had previously been established as her character with what with, with this new information. Yeah, very true. Because I mean, she's so fascinating to to think mm -hmm. about what, uh, like you said earlier, you know, what what of her BS does she believe? Uh, what of it is really true, and what of, has she just convinced herself of too? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what 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 in the head is what uh, yeah. has become real to her and to and us. And then we get to Nolan, who is just this unrepentant sleaze, who just wants, you know, uh, Sierra as his personal chew toy. And he does, and he he's doesn't talk in this whole language of care business. And it suggests that just sort of the end user, the end benefactor of all this is people who don't give a crap about them as human beings and don't even pretend to. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're seeing again. And, and to me, I always kind of saw the delineation a bit to the fact that it, at least the folks like Dominic um, or even Topher, especially early in the series, he's on the inside, okay? Maybe it's a rough edge, but at least they're on the inside, so they're kind of like uh, along with us. But but someone like him, yes, you totally, uh, you know, or at least I do, uh, appreciate what happens to him later on. Now, what did uh, you folks think uh as far as the uh, the journey part for each of the the characters, um, yeah, especially once we get towards the end of the episode and they're each coming to their uh, whatever you want to call it their completion point or hitting their need, yeah. it's 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 quite powerful stuff on the rewatches. Um, yeah, well, that's. I think Justin was going to say. Something. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, well, I think I, what I find is interesting is that is that this sort of ties into the idea of stories and of narrative closure, and they want something. <clears throat> And it's really like, like the, again, this keeps coming back to control, is that the dollhouse sort of controls people by giving what, them what they want. And they're even controlling uh, the actives by giving them what they want, because the ultimate goal of all of this is to, is to make them stop glitching and sort of be good little dolls again, or at least better dolls again. So they're, they're, giving, they're giving them a longer leash for a while, at least, to let them do this and to let them pursue their goals and get and but they're literally programmed when they get that feeling of oh I've got what I want I can rest I can stop they just collapse and you know Adele and, and the handlers in their dark suits just show up and pick them up and take them back home again and back into their boxes and that was really kind of yeah that was you know one of the most disturbing things about this is that they they just how in the inside their heads they are they're just like how many they're they're just they're never really outside the box there might be because of the glitches in the system but they're never really outside the box true jay did you have some thoughts there um <clears throat> excuse me my voice is going away um yeah i just I really enjoyed the Echo storyline. I think out of all of them, I really took to hers because I think it foreshadows a lot about the extremist Caroline that we get in season two. Um, you know, not so much what we saw in the last episode, Echoes, because that was a very 
early version of Caroline. You know, she's just, she didn't really know what she was stepping into when, when her and her fiance or boyfriend went into the lab. But, um, the version of Caroline that we get in season two, you can tell is very, she's very brash. She's very cunning. She, I mean, she's very clever, but she's also, um, she lets her ideals run her. And so she doesn't always make the best decisions because she sort of lets her ideals lead where she goes. And that's exactly what she does in this episode. You know, she knows going back into the dollhouses is not the smartest decision or the, you know, the easiest or best decision that she should make. But because of her ideals and, and this type of person that she is, she has to go back in there and she has to at least attempt to get these people out of the dollhouse. And, um, and so I, I really think that alluded a lot to where they took her character in season two, as opposed to what we saw in the previous episode. And it just, it showed a very different Caroline that was strong, but yet, um, you know, didn't always make the best decisions, I guess. Yeah. I, I wish they had a chance to go a little further in that, into sort of the idea that, that Caroline is not, is a very kind of end justifies the means kind of person, even though she's coming from this very liberal, you know, human rights, pro-animal rescue kind of perspective. And, you know, there is, I think it would put an interesting spin off this, both if Caroline is, you know, does kind of use people, and that's a recurring theme in all of this, that she does... Um, you know, use people and they tend to suffer for it. And I mean, looking forward, we can look at, at what happened to Bennett um, uh, in, in the second season. And that could also, but also, I think that would have been an interesting angle to explore is that the idea that Echo's sort of emerging personality might be, be learn of what Caroline has done in the past and be, you know, and be, you know, upset by it that they are, that her alter ego has, you know, done some pretty questionable things in her life in, in a crusade. Um, yeah, yeah, you could definitely see that, especially in the episode um, Meet Jane Doe, I think, in season two when she's trying to... I know on one hand she's stressing to Ballard that she's not Caroline because of the relationship that, that she and Ballard had formed, but also I could see that being a factor into how emotional she did get over the fact that she was trying to explain to him that she was not Caroline, that she was a separate person and that yeah. that that could have had a little bearing on that as well yeah well, i remember there's a there's a moment in season two when i think it's when victor gets out and de and deactivized whatever you want to call it re-imprinted re as as tony and echo says something like i needed to use him and that was uh, you know that shows that sort of ruthless there's a ruthless streak in her that and and that you know she's up against this giant conspiracy that and she might be very willing to you know lead people into battle and uh, with casualties and again look at bennett look what happened to her look what happened to leo look what happened to bennett um i mean but i mean she's got this generous side too because she let let uh november and sierra and, and victor go off on their own and didn't demand that they come back and help her um so she's got a i mean she's got her good sides too that she's that she uh so yeah i liked having a very flawed person that you know isn't uh, isn't as ambitious isn't is more ambiguous a hero than otherwise absolutely because and especially at the end of that episode as well where you know in the beginning she says you know i needed to use him so she hate that he was leaving but then you also see at the end of the episode when 
She was prepared to let both Victor and Sierra go. As much as she needed to use them, they were they were themselves again, and she was prepared to let them go, and she was going to go back to the dollhouse alone. So again, I, I do see both of those parallels to her character. Yeah, which could have been an interesting conflict going on, but uh, it wasn't to be. No, but it's a, it's a great case of some intriguing stuff and kind of more of that what if, what could have been as far as uh, developing the show and, and the characters a bit because it's, it, it's interesting. The, the Caroline stuff really is because we're really, we get a few glimpses here more than we do in, in a lot of episodes, but there's so much, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like simplicity given to her in, in the way, and, and you talked about it a little bit, Jay, in terms of it's just the 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 unbridled desire to to fix something but not realizing the impact of what's going on or or thinking it through that we kind of as viewers get of this whole concept of you know poor caroline um you know we we right from the the early stages of the episodes when she's recruited and you know all those things that went wrong as to why adele is telling her this is the thing to do so i, I kind of like that like you said too peter the the flawed nature of her that uh you know it's not just a case of of an activist who was you know best intentions and a good plan, but uh, just like the rest of us, there's some good stuff there, but yeah, it's not quite <laughs> as good as it looks on the surface. Yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah, that's what's so frustrating about, about dollhouse is that it's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like that condition progeria where people age extremely rapidly <laughs> and they're, it's, they're, you know, senescent by the time we're 15 and that's how i feel like watching it it was like it's like truncated it was smushed into you know two short seasons and it didn't uh and it never really got a chance to grow in a, in a natural way especially the second season because you could see like certain blocks of episodes where you could see them expanding just that entire two-hour period into a, a whole season that you know worth of material and um, so you could be like, okay, these episodes, that would be season two, this would be season three, <laughs> you know, that they just kind of had to pack into yeah. to a small season. Yeah, knowing that the writing was on the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at least we got it, because it was wonderful, so. Now, yeah. what, what, uh, what do you both think as far as, uh, and it's probably because it's grown on me for over the last couple of years, but the, the, the whole f uh, freedom uh segment where we're you know they're finally going out echoes leading them out and we've got the the whole song playing and then they all you know the four of them uh literally yeah. shut it's, down well it's weird it's like it's like this is like this the something that should appear at a climax of the whole series and yet it's happening only eight episodes in and and you know you're as a viewer i was wondering are they really going to do this and well no they're not and so echo just passes out right then and there and um, everybody just goes back in and goes back to business. And um, yeah, so that was and that was just like sort of a part of the, you know, that, that shows the dollhouse's control again about the manipulation, about how, you know, they'll present you with this something that makes you feel complete and there's and the world is restored to order. And, you know, that's precisely when they knock you out and take you back and put you in the box. Yeah, the whole control thing again, because I, I love how it's bookended at the very end when we, you know, um, 
cut back to that opening scene and we get the, you know Dr. Saunders explaining what it is that they really you know we have to give them what they need and and what this whole plan has been just like you were saying Peter it's it's that idea that every time for me that I have fun with this series is I try to step a little higher and get the bigger picture and then I realize here again this is where they did it within the episode you thought you had a handle on what they were doing and like you said the the staff from Adele on down felt like they had some control over how this was playing out but then you realize that uh, aha okay they really did this for that reason and there was a built-in uh, you know safety valve so to speak that will let them think they're in the control and they're not again just another example of, of how that's not the case yeah and I especially like that, it, that the idea for this ultimately came from Claire Saunders you know because we're used to her being you know she's like this this you know I don't know, Virgin Mary of this particular little setup, this this font of mercy and and impotent moral um, moral outrage, and yet she's the one who came up with this whole, you know, let them off the leash for just a little bit um, plan, not Adele, and that's uh, that shows that you know just how twisted this whole situation is that that this kind of emotional manipulation and lying and mind control she that she, Claire Saunders, can, can rationalize as being for their own good. Yes. And that's, again, the early development, too, of some of these characters and, and seeing who has kind of the, the power a bit here, too. I mean, that's where, that's where I was disappointed that we, and, and we all know from, you know, the actress playing the role, too, I would have liked to have seen more of, uh, and again, it got sped up in season two, as you were saying, Jay, of, of the Dr. Saunders quote-unquote imprint and and how much she brought to who that was and what it meant to them rather than just the you know the doc handing out the lollipops yeah i really thought yeah i think that in the season two there was a a amy acker shaped hole in the series. <laughs> yeah yeah it would have been nice to have seen utilized yeah, her, her character was definitely the biggest enigma that was left with the show because a lot of people thought it was Alpha and they had trouble with what it, how did he turn good and what happened here. And I, I always liked the sort of um, ambiguous nature because I thought it fit his character. Um, but with her, there was just a lot of questions that I wanted answered. And to me, she was the most frustrating not to get the answers for. Yeah, well, it's sort of like, you see, we don't really, we presumably when she was missing from the dollhouse, uh, Boyd had her like we we saw that bit where he went home and there she was like practically like his wife, and you know who knows what he did with her, so it's like we can't we've got this body but we don't ever really know what's inside it we don't know what's been done to her what, um, what you know how he's tweaked the Claire Saunders persona, like um, you know the whole bit that whole bit where she ultimate where she shoots uh, Bennett in the head, like. We don't even really know why she did that. Was she supposed to? Uh, my personal theory is that she was sort of glitching, and she rationalized. She was jealous of Topher, or she wanted to hurt him, and she also was under orders to sabotage the pl the plan to bring back Caroline's wedge. And you know, she glitched. Was she, she was so messed up? She, she rationalized that the best way to do this was to shoot Bennett in the head, and. Um, so we don't really know why she did that, and that's that what makes her an, an, an enigma. We don't know what's been done to a person, so we we don't we can't really assign any moral weight to them. We can't even really treat them as a person because we don't know why they do something. 
and we can't it's like that fits in the, the whole sense of paranoia and mistrust we can't ever really know why a person does something we can't ever really know um what's been done to them off camera very true excellent points all right uh before we get into some feedback any other points you guys wanted to bring up um i think about but i, I still think that this is like I, I reiterate my claim this is the second best episode of the whole series it is yeah, it is definitely a favorite yeah yeah, it's, we've got lots of strong ones coming up, so this is some cool stuff. All right, well, it uh, as we, and, excuse me, as many of you know from our delays and getting a chance to record, it's been a little while, but we do put up the uh, thread in our Facebook group asking for any thoughts before we record so we can uh, kind of touch on them. So we do appreciate several of you having done that uh, at this point a few weeks ago, but uh, wanted to get some thoughts on a couple of points that folks had here. So let me bring that up and uh, throw them to you guys. Uh, Tammy uh, gave us some great thoughts on many things. And one of the questions she asked uh, was that whole uh, mountain side scene. Ah, uh, the mountain, yeah. And and kind of what that might have meant. Any any thoughts there? I have thought long and hard about that, and I still have no answer. <laughs> okay, I, I can speculate. Um, I think they probably have a suspicion they were sort of like throwing that in and just okay, this is a plot thread that we can pick up at some point in the future. Um, you know, if when they thought there was going to be a future. Um, my personal theory is, is that before knowing that Caroline at some point knew she was going to be captured or even allowed herself to be captured and, and prepared for this, and she set up some kind of um, breadcrumb in her own mind that through maybe through hypnosis or meditation or uh, even some other use of the imprinting technology, and uh, that she would have this instinctive belief uh, at the level of this belief at the level of instinct that this is somewhere she was supposed to go in the future. Um, but that's purely speculation. Um, you could also argue this that, you know, some whoever was messing around with with the uh, dollhouse's impound system uh, was going to was using that at, to do a, a similar function that, that if she ever escaped, she would home in on this mountain and somebody would be waiting for her there. But again, that's speculation. No, but some good, some good type stuff, you know, that whole uh, anchor, someplace to go. So yeah, I, I never had it either, and I always find it interesting when folks ask about it or, or try to think about what it could mean. Another interesting point that came up there, uh, touch on quickly, uh, Chris brought up uh, a thought, which was that, uh, and, and certainly comes out a bit in this episode here, but uh, he mentioned how uh, one of his prevailing thoughts was that uh, no matter how hard she tried, meaning Caroline, she's not the one who could stop Rossum. It had to come down to Echo. I don't know. Is is like there's a complex relationship between Caroline and Echo because you know Caroline's got, you know Echo's got like what you know 14 people in her head plus who knows what else is she's done to herself. So she's like. You know, she's kind. Of, she basically is superhuman. She's not. Um, but I guess the question is: Does does she is she just like a better Caroline? Is she more ruthless? Is she is is she, is are all the character traits of Caroline amplified? So she's she's got this ruthless, you know, ends justify the means um, streak to her, even in her new sort of evolved state. Or 
um, is it did she at some point surpass this that did she like le learn to get beyond those those character points it's hard to say because again we don't we never really got into that that detail yeah i think the two needed each other and i think that together they brought down rossum but i i don't think that without caroline like echo could have you know, it's like Carol, Echo needed that part of Caroline and needed Caroline's basic nature to create the, the version of herself that she created to be able to get rid of Rossum. Yes. Well, I don't think I don't think they did. Like, like, you know, she st she stopped Boyd in particular. But, you know, at the end of, of uh, the Hollow Man, we see, you know, there's a nice big, you know, Rossum building right there. And, you know, in uh, Epitaph 2, we see the Neuropolis and the, the senior executives of Rossum are just like, you know, running through body after body, um, living it up with food and cigars and so forth. And she keeps killing them. So there's like this kind of, you know, you know, she can no matter how many um, Rossum execs she kills, they just instantiate into another <laughs> body. She goes and kills them again. And and. Uh, I mean, I think she even says as much. It's just, you know, why do I, you know, it's it's kind of a, a you know, myth of Sisyphus that this task she can never complete. Um, and, and that fits into the sort of obsessive nature you get, that she's just, she'll keep doing this over and over again and never, you know, try to kill something that can't really be killed because there's always somebody willing to pick up. There's always another copy somewhere and there's always another person willing to abuse the technology. Absolutely, but that persistent nature is was the catalyst to get rid of Russell. You know that she may not have been the. You know, I know it was Topher that eventually fixed what happened to Rossum, but it was that persistent nature I think that that really was the downfall and the catalyst. But I also have some fun myself thinking of how, in a, in a bigger way of thinking about it, the. It's for me. It's like what a lot of us do sometimes, and how you approach uh, life or challenges or big things. Uh, everybody thinks that that I reach a certain point, whatever that is, whether it's financial, age, relationship, and that's when I'm happy. That's when I've reached it. You know, there's 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 an end, so to speak. Mm. And, and to me, this is very much an example of. And it's not. It certainly can be very disheartening because of the nature of the series in terms of that idea that there are always more. But it's that idea that it's more about getting there than it is being there, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> yeah, it is very much, yeah, it's desire. And, and Echo has, Echo and Caroline have an obsessive desire to, to bring down, um, to bring down Rossum and then to, you know, create a just world. And that leads into this kind of never ending war where, where with lots of casualties on both sides. And, and, you know, that, that you know, it, it comes back to, like, controlling people through their desires. Um, and, but also that, you know, desires can be, like, the Rossum execs in, in Epitaph 2 are busily, you know, one of them's, like, you know, going through body after body because he just gorges himself on cigar and food. And uh, when he gets too obese, he just, or cancerous or whatever, he just, you know, switches to a different body. And... Um, so like what you know, it's like the it's almost the Buddhist idea that desire itself is torment. That you need to need to achieve peace, you have to remove desire in yourself. 
Well, that's part of what makes this series for me so much fun is is because, you know, when, just when you think you've got a handle on it, you've got another way to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, we appreciate the uh, feedback, folks. Uh, that's just touching on a few of the items there. Uh, as always, we'll be putting up a thread for, for some of your thoughts and try to incorporate them in the discussion uh, each time we record there. And hopefully we'll get a little more uh, on a regular release schedule if our uh, work lives <laughs> and other things can stay there. We appreciate uh, Peter's flexibility. We had to cancel on him once or twice, too. So uh, we appreciate that. But uh, for the... Uh, chance to get some uh, thoughts to us and feedback. We have a few different things uh, depending upon what is your uh, personal social media of choice. As we said, we do have a Facebook group entitled Active Architecture, a dollhouse retrospective. If you just do a search for that or contact us, uh, we'll be glad to get you in that uh, group there. We talk about the episodes and the releases. You can also find us on Twitter at Dolls Active. You want to drop us some thoughts there. And also the good old tried and true email at activearchitecture at gmail.com. Any and all of those uh, we try to keep an eye on and stay involved as we look forward to doing the future podcasts. So, uh, Peter, we really appreciate you uh, coming on with us tonight. That was a pleasure. Now, uh, before we let you go, uh, where can folks, you mentioned your blog or a website, or folks can learn a little more about you? Well, I uh, blog about uh, my book research project at uh, historyofbdsm.com, and uh, that's that's uh, hopefully going to be a book project um, sometime. And uh, I'm also at petertupper.com. Excellent. Awesome. Well, I hope you folks enjoyed our discussion. And uh, please uh, stay in touch with us. And we will be back fairly soon with our next episode. So thanks very much for listening in, everybody. Great. I hope I can do one of these again. Absolutely. Is better